want to recommend this book to you. In fact, anything that's written by him is, is really good. The guy's name is Alfred Edersheim. Now, if that's not Jewish, I'm not for sure what is, right? But Edersheim, E-D-E-R-S-H-E-I-M, Edersheim. And you can usually find his stuff pretty cheap on Amazon. You know? Find it in very good condition, used, maybe $3.99. This is called The Sketches of Jewish Social Life. He also has another book that's really great called The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. And of course, he is writing from a messianic Jewish perspective and understanding that Jesus is the promised Messiah who has come. So, yes. The second book title is called The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. And it's a pretty thick little volume. Uh, It's probably... 700, 800 pages. But it's, it's one of those things that you're not going to, you probably wouldn't start at the beginning and read all the way through. It'd be more a reference for wherever you're at and what you're reading of Scripture. Eater, Eater, what's that? Sketches, uh, sorry, Sketches of Jewish Social Life is the first book. Also, has anybody ever heard of Josephus? Everybody heard of him? Okay. It's helpful to have his book. Just for uh, reading, probably not as much as the Edersheim books, but a guy named Josephus, he was a member of the Sanhedrin, actually, uh, was a Pharisee at the time of Jesus. He actually documents the recorded um, communication of his resurrection in there, and he was an unbeliever, uh, which is really interesting about that. Uh, He would be good to read, to reference on, but not as much as Edersheim is. Edersheim stuff is very interesting. And the reason why we're doing this is because when we're looking at the Shema, there you go. Man, you got a Kindle? Hook it up. Paperback, brand new. Brand new, $5.49. You can't beat that. With Prime. You got Prime? Free shipping. I love it. Blessings are just flowing from the internet by the Lord, right? That's good stuff. Life and times, there you go. Again, a little bit more expensive, but man, it's a great work. It's a great work. You learn so much from it. And the reason why I bring this up is because today we're going to be looking specifically at the Shema, talking about it. And honestly, it's probably going to take us three weeks to look at the Shema and deal with it because it was so pivotal to everything going on in Jewish life. Uh, it, It was just inseparable from everything they did. And it wasn't just something that remained in the synagogue Uh, The interesting thing about the Jewish life that we see in their lifestyle is the fact that it it, it was always permeating everything that they did. Uh, It it, it was always the guiding idea of how they lived life, thought, the whole deal. And so we're going to deal with that in a second. Before we jump in, though, let's pray. That's, That's probably really important to do. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy and just pray that you be with us as we search through the book of Deuteronomy and read through this uh, important uh, foundational section, Father, that in some way you would please give me the grace to do it, some justice that would be pleasing to you, Father, to realize the weight and the gravity of what is uh, held before us, Father. So please bless this time, we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So in chapter 6, verse 1, before we get to the paper that says Shema, let's read this real quick. Verse 1, now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which are, sorry, which Yahweh, your Elohim, has commanded me to teach you, 
that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it. Now let's get our bearings real quick. When we talk about the idea of possess, what are we talking about? We are talking about an inheritance that's been laid up for them. Now remember this, okay? The first generation out of the Exodus failed. Their failure was summed up in one word, unbelief. They did not trust that Yahweh would fight for them, even though they had seen him deliver them from Egypt. Now, this was this is what made this situation so cataclysmic. So the second generation is coming along, and everything that Deuteronomy is is Moses' final address of the second generation out of the Exodus to encourage them, do not make the same mistake that your fathers made. Go in, possess this land. God has it set aside for you. Get in there and get her done. Okay, that's the idea. So verse 2. So that, here's the reason, you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God, Yahweh your Elohim, to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and the second part, that your days may be prolonged. Now I want you to notice this. Number one, the fact is, this is to matriculate, okay? It is the idea that it is supposed to go from them to their offspring to their offspring's offspring. This is something that is to be threaded throughout their genealogy without exception. Now, this is important to think about just for us. No, we're not Israel. But right now, are you passing along to your kids what needs to be passed along about the Lord Jesus Christ, training their child up in the way they should go so that when they're older, they will not depart from it? That's the whole idea. I tell you, we have one of the greatest tools on the face of the earth in training kids, and it's called Awana. We have that here. So sending your kids to Awana, participating in Awana, helping with Awana, doing whatever you can to make it successful, good stuff, right? It's all good stuff because it is getting them not to just learn rote memorization of scriptures and then regurgitate them in order to get a badge. That's not the idea. It's actually teaching them what it means. This is so important. Uh, so far, I've got down with, with uh, uh, Nathaniel, Genesis 1.1. We got that down. He's got down uh, Romans 3.23. All of sin, all of sin. You haven't lived till your kid's running through the house screaming all of sin. Uh, and it's really great because I get to remind him that's him too. Um, and you know what? Just working on our Awana stuff this week together in our little Cubbies book or whatever, he's walking around now saying Christ died for us. Christ died for us. Christ died for us. And I love it because his speech is getting a lot more plain. So it's good stuff. Getting it into their heart. Remember, that's the problem here in Deuteronomy, is getting the word into their heart. We're going to see that in, in, in the Shema when we deal with it. So notice there's a generational thing that goes on. And notice the requirements are, number one, why in the world are they to do this? Number one, so that they would fear Yahweh your Elohim, to keep him in high reverence and respect. The idea that sinning against God is a cataclysmic choice. Now, I think it's important that we realize we cannot speak about sin too strongly. Let me give you an example. I think I've used this before, but repetition's a good teacher, I hope. At some point later on down the line, I'm not going to put a date on when because I've already talked about spiritual gifts. I keep pushing that off for months and months and months because we're just not there yet. But at some point down the line, we are going to go through the attributes of God. And the reason is, is because nothing will set your heart and your mind right before your holy creator, 
like examining and embracing who he is and what he said about himself. It is, it is, it is so important. One of the attributes is, is the fact that he is omnipresent. What's that mean? He is everywhere at all times, right? He's, he's not just up in heaven sitting, kind of looking down with a telescope, seeing what's going on and something might get past him. That's not what it is. He is everywhere present. He's here right now. You believe that? Is that true? Why do we sin so easily if that's true? At those moments when we want to sin or fall into the temptation to sin, do we believe that? A lot of times we don't. I mean, isn't it the most absurd thing that you've ever read in the Scriptures to where Adam's like, I know, let's sew together some underwear out of the fig leaves and hide. He'll never see us, right? And we sit here and we kind of laugh at that, but in a way, don't we do that as well? If we truly believed that God was omnipresent, just taking him for who he has revealed himself to be, I bet you and I would find that that temptation to sin in our lives would probably be a lot less. Why? Because a greater truth has supplanted the idea of nobody will know. It's not harming anybody but me. It's okay. Well, just this once, it's no big deal. No, you find that there's a holy God that actually sees everything you do in detail and knew your heart before you ever committed that act. You see what I'm saying? That right there is a sobering thought that ends up changing people. That's what it is to live in the fear of the Lord. He sees all. Why would we want to repeat his commandments and statutes as a Jewish people going into a brand new land? Because we are constantly, always keeping the Lord ever before us. But notice that there is a second point here as well. The second one is that your days may be prolonged. We, we should know this from history, just recent history in our time. One of, the, one of the most profound disciplines that come against the Jewish people for their idolatry and rejection of Yahweh is the fact that you can't stay in the land. You're not allowed to live here anymore. Their very real estate is snatched out from under them and they are scattered all over. Now, has anybody read any of the prophets recently? And it doesn't count if you're in Pastor Steve's Isaiah class, okay? That doesn't count. But, but yeah, I know, I know, we're trying to squeeze in there, you, you, you finaglers. So, but, but if you've ever read any of the prophets, you'll come upon a section where it talks about, in that day when you raise up idols before yourselves, I will cast you out of the land. I will scatter you across the face of the earth. We've seen that before, right? And we know that the, the, the nation of Israel, after World War II, came back into being a nation in 1948, right? We saw that happen. President Truman signed off on it May, what is it, 14th? 1948, May 15th, when is it? Do we know? Is it? I don't know. I just know that the day before that was when Chuck Norris was born, and I think that's got something to do with it. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. He's, he's a pretty bad man. But anyway, that's just a joke. Does anybody like Chuck Norris jokes? I think he's great. Okay, yes, yes. Amen, brother, preach it. Exactly. I think it's great. But anyway, they, they came back together as a nation. Now, what was amazing was in 170 A.D. is when they were hit with this. They, the Romans came in in 70 AD and messed everything up. It wasn't 170. It was 130 AD. And at 130, the entire nation of Israel as a whole was dispersed. So Jerusalem got hit in 70 AD, and the rest of the nation held on for a little while, but eventually they were scattered out through all the earth. Why is that? They rejected Christ. That was the discipline. When that happened in 130 AD, and they are scattered everywhere, and they are not a unified people in a land that was promised to them. And then all of a sudden, history is threaded in such a way as to where in the providence of God, you have 1948, Jewish, uh, the, the Israel is now declared a Jewish state. What? 
the nation comes back into being after all this time? Obviously, God's doing something. Obviously, the prophetic time clock is ready to speed forward. He is preparing people for the next series of events that he will bring about to pass. Do I believe that the end is near? Yeah, I I hope we're raptured today. I do. I think it'd be great. I think it'd be real good. I think it'd be awesome. So notice the idea of fearing him and the fact that their days would be prolonged. They would be able to continue to live quiet, peaceful lives in the land under the protection of Yahweh. Verse 3, O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it. Why? That it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly. So notice, not just well-being, but replenishing of offspring is contingent upon this. Just as Yahweh, the Elohim of your fathers, has promised you, and that happened in Genesis 15, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Now this right here is considered a critical, yes, you like the milk part, don't you? Yeah, that has nothing to do with you, Laverne, calm down. That's an example of bad hermeneutics trying to assert yourself into the scriptures. Just because it says milk doesn't mean you're in there somewhere. So, moving on. This entire idea of the Shema was to be life-changing, destination-altering for them. It dictated everything about their health, well-being, existence, life, all of it. And, And it's real easy. Be subservient to Yahweh who loves you and delivered you. That's really what it is. If we want to sum it up just kind of quickly, that's what we would find. Now, verse 4, we start this. Hear, O Israel. Everybody see the word hear? Hear. The idea of hear, any time that is communicated in the Old Testament Hebrew. In fact, let me, let me read this for you. This would be better. To hear in Hebrew lexicography, that's real good. In other words, the meanings uh, that are used, the word usage, that kind of idea. Uh, is tantamount to obey. That is, to hear God without putting into effect the command is not to really hear him at all. That's the idea. Now, we know this, don't we? If you have kids and you tell your child to do something, you need to listen. What are you really saying? You need to act. You need to obey. I can't even imagine if I looked over and be like, Nathaniel, you need to listen. If you looked over and be like, I heard you. I just didn't want to do what you said. Now, we have a whole other world of problems going on there, but that's not how it goes, does it? There's not usually a separation in what we mean when we communicate between listening and following through with with, uh, what's been requested. It's no different here. So the idea here, O Israel, means listen and obey, and this is the word Shema. This is the idea. Now, here's why the Shema is important. The Shema was actually read, recited twice a day by the males only of Jewish families. Now, pause for just a second because we haven't even really dove into this yet. Why would that be significant? Leadership. Leadership. See, this is, the, this is one of the big issues I have with gender confusion that's going on right now. Gender confusion corrodes leadership. And we wonder why, well, how come there's no solid direction for anything? The reason is, is because all of our, our, all of our, our leaders are trying to wear dresses. That's the problem. That's what we're running into. We're, they're, they're trying to constantly substitute to be something that they're not because they bought into a lie about how to be. 
Now, does that mean that we hate those people? No, that's not what that means at all. But what it does mean is that what this world needs as a reflection of God's presence on earth are men who are resilient in upholding the truth and marching forward to establish solid leadership. Have you ever come across a family, and usually the thought in your mind is, oh, she wears the pants in that family, right? Now, am I being anti-feminist? Am I being a male chauvinist by saying it that way? Well, you are if you don't hold to the Bible. You could very well be accused of that. You see what I'm saying? But if you know that there is a creator God who created them male and female under the headship of the category which is known as man, and that they are equals but have varying roles, now you've got a different situation going on. Because we're not talking about superiority and inferiority. We are talking about God's tasks that he has put forward being accomplished because each one is serving out what God has called them to do. How do we know this? Think about what we know in the New Testament, right? Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, right? And the feminist and everybody goes, and your toes curl up and you're like, and all the lesbians want to kill you, right? It's the kind of thing that usually goes on. Well, a lot of times it does. You ever tried to, have you ever tried to, tried to talk to a lesbian about this verse? I have. It's a lot of fun. You know? And here's the thing that you find, and this is very interesting for, for somebody that's coming from that perspective. That verse starts to make a whole lot more sense and starts to click a lot more when you bring in the whole husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. So you can't have one without the other. You can't just harp on one verse and ride that wave to the shore. You need to put them both together side by side. Why? Because you're not saying inferiority and superiority. You are defining God-given roles, calling, commissionings that if they are lived out, create the ideal circumstances where God is maximally glorified. Does everybody see that? That's the idea. Connie, what do you want to say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've actually sat down with some people and went through their wedding script with them, and, and some people obey. Oh, oh. Yeah, and, and, and we had to sit down and have a biblical discussion about what this looks like. But notice, the point I'm trying to get at is notice that it's wives submit to your husbands because they're great, because they look good, because they always smell nice. No, because we know that none of those things are true, Right? What is it? As unto who? Notice your marriage relationship and the role you fulfill has everything to say about what Christ looks like on the other side of it. See, that's the idea. Husbands, love your wives as long as she cooks well, as long as she keeps the house clean, as long as she takes care of the kids and changes the diapers and hangs out the laundry. Love her why? Love her how? As Christ loved people. Christ has already shown you how to do it. You see what I'm saying? That's the interesting thing. Christ has already shown you how to do it. So love her because of what Christ has done. He is on the other side of that. It all hangs in balance. Why is it that the males of the families of these Jewish uh, inhabitants would be the ones reciting this twice a day, once in the morning, once in the evening? Because they are responsible for the leadership of the family. Think about this situation. We know this, right? I mean, we spent our entire time on this. Acts, right? The Philippian jailer. Everybody remember this? Chapter 16. It all comes crumbling down, and he knows that Rome is going to have his head. 
So he's going to commit suicide to avoid a terrible, painful, slow, torturous death. Okay? And Paul says, don't do that. And he bows down before him. He gets down on his knees. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your. Don't leave that out. Why is that? Because the way that the father went in his direction of leadership is the way that the family followed. See, we've gotten so independent in our world and we've bought into this lie that we don't need anyone to tell us what to do. I mean, isn't this the whole justification of teenage rebellion? I know, man. I grew up in the 90s. We were listening to grunge rock and hating adults and all that stuff. I get it. Kurt Cobain was my idol before he killed himself. Then I was sitting here questioning what I was going to do in life. I get it, man. I was there. But I was also severely deceived is the idea. So this whole idea that we don't need restraint, we don't need boundaries, we don't need guidance, we don't need direction, that's the problem. In fact, I'll, let me say this real quick and then we'll move into this. It resurgence whenever I was there. We were working a lot with inner city kids. Man, their grandmothers don't care how long they're out at night, when they come home, if they come home. They don't care when they sleep, if they eat, whatever. Everybody's just kind of fending for themselves. And what you find out is that the older kids in this family are the ones who are actually parenting the younger kids in this family. It's a mess. But when they came to church, the one thing we found that they responded to and would even begin to invite their friends is when we set up a structure. There is a structure here. There is a right. There is a wrong. And if you do this, you're not in study anymore. I'm sorry, you got to go home. Come back next week, try again. But we won't tolerate that behavior here. It was very interesting to see how that thing exploded. It was amazing. Why? Structure's necessary. This is exactly what God is giving Israel at this time. So for their reciting of this, the idea of to hear is the idea to obey. I want you to pull out your your, uh, papers here that say the Shema. And I'm going to ask you to mark some things that you observe, okay? Number one, the word hear here is the idea, listen carefully, obey. Uh, and again, this is considered the most important of all Jewish prayers that there has ever been, okay? Um, I think this is important as well, is why would the reciting of this be important? Because the person becomes indoctrinated with it. Uh, God never apologizes for indoctrinating people with this truth. Why? Because it's true. See, that's what makes Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and stuff so dangerous is because they have the corner of the market on indoctrinating people, but yet it's all wrong. And that's when you end up with cults and people are brainwashed and doing crazy things and sipping Kool-Aid and wearing weird sneakers and looking for aliens to come back. It's strange stuff. And so whenever you deal with Yahweh, getting involved and getting people to recite these things, uh, it's very interesting. In fact, in Edersheim's book, He actually has listed here that there was a call to prayer uh, that was going on with this uh, because it was a form of what was called public worship. Uh, It was a belief, it was a creed, and all males were bound to repeat this belief twice a day. They had prayers that went on in this. Uh, And so the first prayer that would bracket this, just listen to it real quick. This isn't scripture, this is just a prayer that they came up with in order to prep everybody for the uh, reciting of the Shema. Now, what's odd is, is this obviously isn't Jewish because it's written in King James, uh, which is odd, not being Scripture, and yet they put it in King James. So I'm going to try to un-King Jamesify it as best we can so that we understand it. Blessed are you, O Lord, King of the world, who foremost the light. Sorry, who foremost? Who forms the light and creates the darkness? 
who makes peace and creates everything, who in mercy gives light to the earth and to those who dwell upon it, and in your goodness day by day and every day renews the works of creation. Blessed be Yahweh our Elohim for the glory of his handiwork and for light-giving lights, which he has made for his praise. Selah, which means take a pause and consider those implications. Blessed be the Lord our God, who has formed the lights. And now this was prayer number two that prefaced this. With great love you have loved us, O Yahweh our Elohim. With much overflowing pity you have pitied us, our Father and our King, for the sake of our fathers who trusted in you, and you taught them the statutes of life. Have mercy upon us and teach us. Enlighten our eyes to your law. Cause our hearts to cleave to your commandments. Unite our hearts to love and fear your name, and we shall not be put to shame, world without end. For you are a God who prepares salvation, and and sorry, has chosen us among all the nations and tongues, and has the truth brought near to us by your great name, Selah. Then we may lovingly praise you and your oneness. Blessed be Yahweh, who in love chose his people Israel. And so they would have those two prayers that they would read at the beginning, and then there would be a reciting of what you have on your papers. Now, one thing I want you to see about your paper here is that notice you've got verses 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and then all of a sudden there's a 13. If you look off to the right-hand side, notice that this first part bracketed, and it's actually recited in this order, is Deuteronomy 6, 6 verses 4 through 9. Then after that, from 13 until 21, they would recite Deuteronomy 11, verses 13 through 21. And then after that, verses 37 through 41 would be a reciting of Numbers 15, 37 through 41. So the Shema, when we talk about the hear, O Israel, and obey, what actually constitutes what's known as the Shema, this reciting, is made up of these three passages recited in this order after those two prayers are given. Does that make sense to everyone? So here's the things I want you to see. Number one, In fact, if you want to write this in your margin up top, number one, we want to look for listening language, okay? Hear, listen, those types of words, okay? So if we see anything for like that, we want to mark it. In fact, you can maybe kind of see mine a little bit on here. I've got highlights, I've got red marks, I've got blue marks, I've got all kinds of marks on here. But, but, But going through and observing this text, number two, we want to note every time that the heart is mentioned. Every time that the heart is brought up, and here's the reason why, unless you are convinced in your heart that something needs to be a certain way, you will not do it. Unless you have a conviction that something needs to happen, it will not happen. In fact, this is the reason why a lot of 12-step programs go wrong for people who are suffering with drug addictions. They're just not deeply convinced in their hearts that things need to be different. They just want to find better ways to skim under the radar, to not get caught this time, to better concoct a lie. And all of that comes from what? The heart. Everybody see that? How they position themselves to move forward from that can either be one of reception of truth and operating like that, or because they're filled with deception and they're going to move forward like that. It all starts here. Now, here's why this is important to look for heart language. I wrote this down. The heart was considered a Jew's central seat of the intellect, the hub of rational thought. It was the reason why you did what you did and what you thought what you thought. 
That's the idea. So in order for life to be different, and this is true for the church now, in order for the life to be for life to be different, our hearts have to be changed or convinced of a greater truth than what we're settling for. Everybody with me? We've got to be convinced differently. And that's the whole idea here. So I want you to look for anything that deals with the heart. The other thing, the last thing I want you to look for is anything that deals with generational implications. Sons, grandsons, fathers, those types of things. All of those, those three things are three parts that constitute the framework of this section. The listening, hearing, obeying motive. The idea that it's the heart that is the prime issue that needs to be changed and the fact that this is something that is to permeate generation. It is to matriculate down through the ages of people. So let's read through this real quick. Hear, O Israel. There's your hear language, right? The Lord our God, Yahweh is our Elohim. The Lord is one. Now, does everybody see this one here? Everybody see this? We are going to talk about why this word one next week justifies the Trinity, okay? We're not going to talk about it today. There's a lot of people that say, no, 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 the Jews couldn't have handled mono, uh, couldn't have handled tritheism at that time, the fact that there are three in one. They couldn't have handled a concept like a Trinity because they had come out of Egypt and they had all these gods everywhere and there was this mass confusion that God was trying to break them from. Get this, that doesn't mean that God hid who he was for them because they couldn't handle it. Oftentimes, God wanted to smack us in the eyes with exactly who he was so that we realized we couldn't handle it and fall upon his mercy to be able to accept it. You see how that works? Totally different. So next week, we're going to talk about the essence of the Trinity found in this word one right here in the Shema. That's what, it's, that's what it clearly communicated. Verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. There it is. And what I did was I had a red pen, so I just made little red hearts over the top of that. That's fun, right? I could do it. It wasn't going to be permanent in my Bible, so I'm okay with it. Look at it later. What's wrong with me? Oh, yeah. That's cute. Do that again, Mitch. Yeah. Everybody see that? Woo. There you go. Your heart. Every time we say heart, just throw that up there. Hey, every time it says sons, can we just have like some, some figures being cast across the stage? Here, some ears pop out. I mean, it's good stuff. All right, so. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now, you're probably familiar with that because Jesus repeated it in the New Testament, right? Verse 6, these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Come on, Mitch. Let's see it. Yeah, there we go. Just one. I got one on that one. Great. It'll be on your heart. Notice verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your sons. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. It shall come about if you, now mark it, listen obediently. Everybody see how they put that together in the Hebrew? Not just listen. Listen obediently. Pay attention and do it is the idea. To my commandments, which I am commanding you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and all your soul, that he will give the rain for your land in its season, the early and late rain, that you may gather in your grain and your new wine and your oil. Now let me say something about that real quick. 
Notice that God is the provider of these things in relation to obedience, but he is not the worker in these things. Does that make sense? This is important to see. It's just like this. Uh, 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 He is going to bring these rains, and they're going to fall at the times that they need to fall as long as the children of Israel are obedient to him, and they will have an abundance of crop, wine, oil. They're not going to lack for anything. However, he's not going to walk out there and harvest everything for them, okay? God is not about his people being lazy. He's not. He calls on them to take personal responsibility and responding to his goodness to take advantage of it. That's important. I think that's important to bring out. That's a good principle for the church today. Verse 15, he will give grass in your fields for your cattle and you will eat and be satisfied. Laverne, you happy about that one? There you go. Okay, good. Verse 16, beware that your hearts are not deceived. Notice that's in the negative. Beware that your hearts are not deceived and that you do not turn away and serve other gods and worship them. Or the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain on the ground. Uh, Sorry, no rain and the ground will not yield its fruit and you will perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. You shall therefore impress these words of mine on your and on your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets on your forehead. You shall teach them to your sons, talking of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates." so that your days and the days of your sons may be multiplied on the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them. And notice that Lord there at the end is capital L, lowercase o-r-d, everybody see that? Adonai, master, that the master swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens remain above the earth. The Lord also spoke to Moses saying, Speak to thee sons of Israel, notice that, and tell them that they shall make for themselves tassels on the corner of their garments throughout their generations, notice it's generational, and that they shall put on the tassel of each corner a cord of blue. It shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord. So as to do them, notice the obedience there, and not follow after your own heart and your own eyes, after which you played the harlot. And real quick, I want you to do this. This may scare the bejeebers out of you to do this. Everybody see this word harlot? A lot of translations translate this word whore. Okay, I hope you guys can handle that type of language here. But here's the reason why I bring that word up, is because in our English, notice how serious God is about what it looks like for a nation that he pours and invests in with his loving kindness, his patience, his gifts, his grace, his goodness, and for them to turn around and spit in his face and follow something that is carved out of wood. Everybody get that? That's like infidelity in a marriage is what he's saying. So I think it's important that we realize, is God's language loving? Yes, he is. But God is very much about truth. And God is not scared to use a provocative word like that in order to, bam, punch you and get your attention so that you understand he's serious about sin. He's so serious about sin. 
So it says here, verse 40, so that you may remember to do all my commandments and be, what's the word? Holy. Now do me a favor, circle the word holy. What does holy mean? Set apart to be separate from everything else to your God. Now notice how he finishes this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your Elohim. I am Yahweh, your Elohim. Everybody see that? And then after that was done, here is the prayer that would complete that reciting of those those, uh, uh, passages right there. So you had the two prayers at the beginning. You have the reciting of this entire section right here, and then you had this prayer. Let's see here. True it is that you are Yahweh, our Elohim, and the Elohim of our fathers, our King and the King of our fathers, our Savior and the Savior of our fathers, our Creator, the Rock of our salvation, our help and our Deliverer. Your name is from everlasting, and there is no Elohim beside you. A new song did they uh, deliver and sing to your name by the seashore. Talk about when they were delivered out of uh, the Red Sea coming down and and killing Pharaoh and and, and all of that. Uh, Let's see, together, and they praise you as their king, and they say, Yahweh shall reign world without end. Blessed be Yahweh who saves Israel. And that's how they would complete a reciting of this time. All the males did this. Now, real quick, in that ending prayer section, does everybody see this idea of looking forward to a reign? Does everybody see that? Notice acknowledging him as king, not just God, not just Elohim, but also Savior, also rock, also deliver. Everybody see all these things? Yes? Good. Okay, so here's what I'm going to ask you to do because we are out of time. I'm trying to be more respectful of time. I love people. Uh, just because our mission statement says I have to. But um, what I want to ask you to do, I'm just kidding. What I want to ask you to do is, did you notice in this sheet of Shema that there are some instances that repeat itself from passage to passage? What I'm going to ask you to do is make those connections, go through and observe this, okay? And I want to ask you at least three times this week, no, we're not Israel, no, we're not Jews, but guess what? We have the same God, Creator, Father of all things, We are saved by faith, just as Abraham was saved by faith, not by works of the law. I think it's a good thing for us to sit here and maybe think about taking each section. Maybe maybe three times this week you want to take just verses 4 through 9. The second time you want to take verses 13 through 21. The third time maybe 37 through 41. And while we're not going to sit here and directly apply this to us as the church because we're not Israel, I think it would be important for us to ask, what devotional things do we learn about God? that shine off of this page and really impress upon our hearts about him. You think we could do that maybe three times throughout this week? Just take this and reflect upon it, meditate on it? Maybe 30 minutes? 30 minutes too much to ask out of your week? Okay, how long are you guys watching The View? I don't even know how long that show lasts, but I guarantee you, if you replace The View with 30 minutes of this, you won't want to watch The View anymore. It'd be awesome, right? Kill two birds with one stone. It's great. So anybody got anything before we wrap this up? Thank you guys for being so attentive. Again, we are going to spend a lot of time dealing with the Shema because it's so important. We good? Mary, did you have something? You look like you want to raise up your hand. No, you're good? Okay, let's make sure. Excellent. Let's pray. 
Father, we do thank you for being an awesome, amazing God beyond what we understand. And Father, I pray that our hearts and our soul and our might would be devoted to you, that you would be the rock that we lean upon, that you would be the only reliance that we lean into, Father, that we would not follow our schemes or craftiness or cunning or, or, or try to come up with the different ways in order to make things work, that, Father, we would be people who live lives of faith that are pleasing to you, the desire to live in a way that is pleasing to you, a way that makes you smile. Father, you are a great and awesome God, and we thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord, who died for us and has risen from the grave and has promised to return and receive us unto himself. Thank you, God, for the promise of eternity. Please bless our week. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.